Hi everyone, I'm Scott Wingeter. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company, the show where we talk about all the things that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. Religion, politics, and all the other things that actually matter in life. So, I think it's very appropriate. Today we're going to talk about religion. Uh, on the show we have uh, Brian Sherman, who is a pastor up at Grace Church in Willis, and I thought it would be very appropriate to welcome you on the show today, be it that we're entering into Holy Week and we have Easter coming up this Sunday. Brian, welcome. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brian, you just wrote a new book. Uh, here it is. I have it here. It's called The Gravity of Heaven, Walking and Reality of Sonship. What's the book about? Yeah, so the book covers this topic called Sonship, which uh, if you're not in church circles, might be asking what that's about. Mm -hmm. uh, sounds like a family term, maybe, but it's really a term about identity. And the, the book, the title, even The Gravity of Heaven, there is uh, this idea that heaven and earth are, there's a dichotomy, like there's two separate spaces and they're always separate. And every now and then heaven kind of spills over into earth and we see God intervene or miracles or, or things like that. And mm -hmm. Uh, but you look at the life of Jesus and it was uh, like heaven was always spilling over. Like it was probably more dominant than the reality we tend to walk in every day. And so the book really uh, um, dives into this idea of uh, Jesus didn't just come to restore us in a sense of giving us a way to get back to God and go to heaven, all that kind of stuff that gets lost kind of in the modern, gets interpreted as the, the way the religion works, I guess, mm -hmm. modern day. But he actually came to restore our identity as sons of God. And so that's what the book is really about. Yeah. All right. So the philosopher in me has to uh, ask and address a couple of questions. So number one, you say reality. So I think we take words for granted. So can yeah. we put a, a firm definition on what is reality? What is that? It is that which is most real, mm -hmm. right? Um, I use that term because we tend to look at Jesus you know, that's what this book is really about. You look at Jesus as though he's the, uh, the exception to reality. Like we all live in a world that operates a certain way and we are, you know, at the mercy of the natural laws and, and all these other things that kind of govern how we live our lives, how mm -hmm. we think. And Jesus came and it, it looks, like I said, as though he's the exception, like everything he's doing doesn't tend to fit in the neat little boxes that we call reality. Um, it's like there's, there's this verse in Acts where it says the disciples, you know, after the resurrection and Jesus sends all that, the disciples turn the world upside down. Um, and it sounds, the best way I like to look at that is that there's this sense based on what Jesus is doing is that the world, when he shows up, is upside down. And by the disciples, you know, turning the world upside down, it's actually more of them turning it right side up. Mm -hmm. That there is some normal, I say, I'm doing air quotes, right? Normal way of operating, uh, in Jesus life that he's, that, that we, we tend to make, Oh, he's the exception. He's the son of God. He can do those things because he's really God. But what he's trying to say is like, no, no, I'm, I'm coming to do this because this is what humans are supposed to be doing. There's supposed to be this overlapping of heaven's reality, God's space and man's space. And it should be a very normal thing that even the very laws of nature, right? This story of Jesus walking on water, gravity is this law that says you really shouldn't be able to do this. You don't have free will over gravity, mm -hmm. but he's not subject to that law. But there's some, there's some other reality that sends, that looks like it is superseding mm -hmm. the normal reality we're in. So I say reality, it's like there was something more real than what we call real that Jesus carried. 
It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite poems by uh, Alexander Pope uh, talking about when Christ turned the water into wine uh, at the wedding. Uh, Alexander Pope writes that the conscious water saw its master and blushed. Wow. I just love that. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of, in the same vein, that I think that you're talking about the conscious water, right? Um, saw its master and blushed. It's, it's the idea that, no, he is the creator. He he is the one who gets to actually define reality mm-hmm. because it's his. Um, and you know, if we're misinterpreting that, that's on us, not on Jesus, not on God, right? Um, so I'd like to go all the way back, um, you know, to Genesis one through three. Um, there's this wonderful course uh, that I've recently took. Um, I think it was right before Christmas. Um, Hillsdale College has free online lectures and um, it was a very interesting course on Genesis itself uh, that was taught by one of the professors up there and he uses a a translation of the Bible that I'm really like I was so impressed with this that I ended up buying a copy of it Um, it's uh, Robert Alter's uh, version of the Hebrew Bible and one of the the tenets of what the, this professor at Hillsdale is trying to get across um, is that, yes, it's lit, uh, it's it's scripture. Yes, it it happened. Yes, it's real. Yes, it's it's holy and it's the word of God. But God's a wonderful storyteller as well, and so there yeah. it has all of the elements that you would expect to find in a masterful piece of literature as well. And so that's what the altar Bible. Uh, really focuses on is the story itself. And uh, through that lens, then you're able to glean a lot of information. Like I've been a Christian for many years now, and I learned a lot by taking that course and then by perusing this uh, translation of the Hebrew Bible. Um, And so Genesis 1 through 3, when we talk about how God created mankind in Adam, he forms uh, man from the dust of the earth, all right? And so it's very much we are bound to, uh, you know, this, this quote, physical reality, um, and we are physically manifested on earth. We are made of dirt, you know? But then he does something special. He takes that form that he created out of the dirt, and he goes... And he breathes into man the life and the spirit. And so uh, what, what we see in that moment is that man is a unique creature, that Adam is literally a unique creature at that moment, in that he is the bridge between sort of the physical, the earth, and mm-hmm. the heaven. He's the bridge between the two realities, if you will, accept those terms. Um, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, man, I love that picture. Yeah. Just the breathing, uh, and I, you know, that what in the Bible the the term Yahweh, right? I've heard that that's that's where that name actually came from. Right. Is is the sound of breath, the because they they had no other way to describe. How do you name this God? He's yeah. our very breath, right? <clears throat> and uh, I, lo- I love that picture uh, because when you look at the creation story, and and I, I would say in modern days we kind of get lost in the weeds because we we look at things from a what what 
the way we determine if something exists mm-hmm. is if it has like physical matter. Right. And we can, it's got atoms and particles that then it exists. Well, that's not the way Genesis is written. Mm-hmm. When guys, when we're reading the creation story, we, if we look at it, not in terms of is God creating physical matter and what does that look like and how do we, mm-hmm. you know, kind of navigate the whole story. Instead, God is giving everything function. Mm-hmm. That's really in the context of like Near Eastern uh, ancient Near East uh, context, yes. that's how they viewed if something existed when it had function. It right. served a purpose, right? Absolutely. So that creation story is about God establishing function, and there's all this separation happening. It's really interesting if you look, um, he says, let there be light, and then throughout he's like, he, he speaks to what's there and creates like the next thing, and the next thing is dependent upon what's already there to mm-hmm. bring it life. Like, mm-hmm. like he speaks to the seas and says, let it bring forth fish, and speaks to the land and bring forth cattle and the air and the birds and right. Mm-hmm. And all these things he's, he's speaking to what's there and creating the next thing. But when he creates man, he speaks to himself and he says, let us create man in our image. Yes. So man is created formed out of the earth, but is created out of God. Yeah. So you do have, like you said, this, there's these two realities that are coming together in this creature called mm-hmm. humanity, man. Yes. Right. And that is, and always has been man's job to bring those two realities together, mm-hmm. to bring God's space, what we call heaven and, and earth, this other reality together. And it's interesting because after the fall, I Adam, you know, going through Genesis one, two, three, right after the fall, um, somehow there's this establishment of, you know, Satan and all the powers and principalities and everything that kind of, that kind of establish ground um, in a spiritual realm, they're yes. not physical beings, right. but somehow they take a spiritual authority because man sinned. Mm-hmm. So we tend to think like man was created for earth. He was, but, but somehow man sinning and falling from his place left open a spiritual realm to be overtaken. There was like a coup almost. Yeah. Yeah. But it's pretty fascinating because, that we... Because we call Satan the prince of this world, right? Yeah. 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 Prince of the power of the air and all yeah. it's like right. So it's it's interesting that a that a heavenly space was left vacant because man sinned. Yes. You see what I'm saying? I do, yeah. Right. So there's a there is to your I've point. I've never considered that. That's excellent. Yeah. So there's to your point, there is something that happens when God creates man that is two separate realms becoming one realm mm-hmm. one reality and jesus models this yes it is a very normal thing for him to heal everybody to walk on water to turn water into wine to do these things that don't fit the rules and order so to speak of right. what how earth operates he's operating from a greater set of rules so he's still operating under under some established order it just seems to supersede the order that we all live in mm-hmm. so I want, I want to focus on the fall here, and I think this is going to set it up, really. I mean, because that, I mean, that's how God wrote the story, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense as you go through it here. Um, and so the fall, I've always looked at it a little bit differently. Like I said, it's, yes, it's, it's true. Yes, it's scripture. But, the, but I think we miss the forest for the trees when we look at a lot of this, especially early Genesis stuff. You know, we can argue all day long whether or not it was, a, you know, six day creation period or took thousands none of that matters in in my humble opinion uh, in regards to this because we think like greeks 
and not like Hebrews. Yeah. And the story was written for Hebrews, not Greeks. Yep. Uh, and we're missing the point. The point of the story is to take the moral out of the story mm-hmm. and not the not focus, hyper-focus and fixate on the facts and details the way that, you know, Westerners tend to do. Um, so when I look at it and I read what the serpent says to Eve, he says, if you, you know, oh, I can't touch that tree. If I touch it, I'll die. He goes, you won't die. So she touches and she, well, lo and behold, she didn't die. And he goes, yeah, if you eat that fruit, this is why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit. Listen to me and trust me. Uh, if you eat that fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. But I really, I think the moral of the story is, is that you will be like God, defining what is good and what is evil. And that was the temptation. And that is what, and you know, that's a huge sin. Um, and I think very foolish because I certainly don't want that job when I consider it. Um, and if you'll pardon me here for one second, I want to read to you uh, the parable of the madman by Frederick Nietzsche. And Nietzsche was a 19th century German philosopher, uh, a rabid atheist, if you will. Um, and he, he, says this whole, and I'll, I'll post this up here uh, in the show notes as well, so you can uh, read it uh, along with me if you'd like, um, but he, he writes this parable, uh, and what he's really trying to argue and articulate here is that he, he wants to overthrow the morality and the foundations and um, sort of uh, institutions that are, you know, a part of the society here, which of course the moral institutions come directly from the church. He wants to get rid of that because, you know, it's nonsense according to Nietzsche. But I think he stumbles upon the truth here quite accidentally, uh, if you'll indulge me here. He says, Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage or immigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God? he cried. I will tell you, we have killed him. You and I, all of us, are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained the this earth from its sun, whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually, backward, sideward, forward, in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we not strain as though through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breadth of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is it not night continually closing in on us? Do we not need to light lanterns in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who were burying God? Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine decomposition? Gods too decompose. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed them. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? This is the part that I really want to focus on. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet 
owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us, for the sake of this deed, he will belong into a higher history than all history hitherto. Here the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners, and they too were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern on the ground and broke it into pieces and went out. I have come too early, he said. My time is not yet. The tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has not yet reached the ears of men. Lightning and thunder require time. The light of the stars requires time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant from them than most distant stars, and yet they have done it themselves, and has been related further that on the same day, the madman forced his way into several churches and struck up his requiem at Turinum. Deo, led out and called to account, he, he is said always to have replied nothing but, What after all are all these churches now if they are not the tombs and sepulchres of God? Does that not aptly describe Western society today? Yeah. Man, it's pretty sober. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's Nietzsche. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was it? 1882 that he wrote that. Um, we are exactly where we were when we were kicked out of Eden. <laughs> we are sitting here trying to define what is good and what is evil. Uh, and that has never been more apparent than in America in 2023. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think, <clears throat> I don't know that I wouldn't say the, the knowledge of good and evil itself is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's that when we put like Adam and Eve or Eve took the fruit, mm-hmm. right? She took the fruit. And then what happened is they began to place this knowledge of good and evil before the knowledge of God. Yes. That is the real, the sin here. Because we, we do the same thing. Look at the, the modern, America's a great example, right? Look at all the debates we have, the God debates, all these things. And, mm-hmm. and if, you, if you look at the argument, the simplest argument, right? It's like, well, if God were good, why fill in the blank? Yeah. What's coming first? This knowledge of good and evil. It always precedes any knowledge of God in those debates. And that's, that's the sin, mm-hmm. Right. If God were good, why this? God yeah. must be evil because this is how, it's like. Well, I get to define what's good. That's obviously. it. Right. And, and that's the great temptation is to be. And by defining for yourself what's good or evil is you're basically saying, I would like to be my own God. Right. I want to be in charge. I want to define. And you, you were saying to me earlier, mm-hmm. so I, I want to be in charge of my own life rather than realize, and, and the, you know, Satan so crafty. It's like. If you eat this, you'll be like God. They're already like God. Mm-hmm. They're literally made in his image. Right. He spoke to himself to create them. Like they're made out of him. Somehow they're blind to that in the, in the moment. Mm-hmm. And ironically, right, they eat the fruit and it says their eyes were opened. Yes. And, and they saw what? Their nakedness. They saw themselves. Now they, nothing had actually changed about their state. Right. 
what changed what they what, is what they were focusing on, what they were looking at. Yes. Now, but they're looking at themselves after having eaten this fruit. So now they're looking at themselves through a filter of good and evil. Mm-hmm. They're putting a knowledge of good and evil before the knowledge of themselves even. And so then it says and what they hid. And I think that man has been doing that ever since. Like we look through the knowledge of good and evil, it produces shame in us and we hide. Yeah. We hide from God. Mm-hmm. Right. Who's asking, where, where are you? He knows where we are, but it's like, where'd you go? Where are you? So how do we restore this? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's literally why Jesus yeah. came. That's, that's what this book, that's the concept of sonship, right? The, the lineage of Jesus is chronicled in a couple places in the gospels. And uh, I think it's Luke. He goes back to Adam, right? Mm-hmm. And it goes, it's really interesting. The verse that describes kind of Adam's origin, it's like the son of Enosh, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Mm-hmm. Now that phrase is, we know that phrase to represent Jesus and becomes kind of, we glaze over it, I guess, nowadays. So Jesus is the son of God. Um, but Adam was the son of God. And so Jesus came to restore what Adam lost. Right. This sonship, this identity. So, yeah, I mean, it does. It, come, it comes back to, to where we are today. Nietzsche obviously isn't seeing Jesus in this whole story. And I think that's a big eye-opener. I just stumbled across something neat that I think is pretty relevant here. Yeah, yeah. This is, goes back to what I was saying about God being just a wonderful storyteller. Mm-hmm. The, so you, every, every name in Hebrew has a, a meaning. You yeah. Know? And yep. so Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal. Uh, so when you go down this lineage that yeah. is, I, it's right out of Genesis, um, from Adam to Noah, it literally translates uh, into man appointed mortal, sorrowful, the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. Wow. So he hid the, he hid the gospel in the generations from Adam to Noah. It's powerful. That's awesome, isn't it? That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah I never knew that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I just, I, I stumbled across that and I was like, wow. So I, I had to take a screenshot of that. So, yeah, it's pretty so cool. You know, up. you mentioned the story. I love that. The the story we often look, like you said, we, we don't see the forest for the trees or whatever, you know, it's mm-hmm. like we often miss the narrative that's being told. And and you look, I've been studying through Luke right now. You just look at the, the underlying narrative that Jesus is referencing this story. If we, if we have eyes to see it constantly referencing this story and really it's the story of the exodus like it's the story of god and Mm -hmm. his people like adam and eve are exiled and the the hope is that they'll be restored to a promised land that god has restored to them and then you look at the children of israel they're literally you know taken into slavery for 400 years Mm -hmm. um ironically because they sold someone into slavery right which, I mean, they kind of reap what you sow, right? Right. So it, it caused an entire nation to be put into slavery. And there's this promise of, there's, hey, God's going to deliver us mm-hmm. into a promised land. And we know, we know the story, hopefully, if you're, if you're yeah. re- listening to this. Uh, you know, Moses, who's raised up in Egypt, raised in a palace, raised as a prince, thinks not like a slave, mm-hmm. thinks like someone in royalty, is the man God calls to lead them out, God's chosen people, his chosen one, what he calls, even calls his child, right? Leads them out of the, 
the this exodus out of slavery through the Red Sea. This is picture of baptism mm-hmm. into the wilderness, into eventually the promised land. You know, they don't go in because they're scared. They still think like slaves. This whole generation has to die. This old self, you know, has to die. Mm-hmm. So this new thing can be born that can enter promised land. And then you look at Jesus, he's actually telling this exact same story in his life. He's yeah. referencing it all the time that he is leading some kind of exodus. Right. And it's going to require some kind of baptism. And there's this whole wilderness experience, even with Jesus, literally like the 40 days and there's 40 years and he right. goes through the wilderness and the people the children of, and the children of Israel are grumbling for bread. And what's the first temptation of Jesus? Like, yeah, if you're the son of God, turn, turn this down to bread. bread. It's right. all the same story. Well, he, Jesus it's life. even the same name. Joshua, Joshua, and yeah. Yeshua right. are the same exact name. It's, it means savior. Right. And, yeah. you know, Moses was, he could not go in. It had to be Yeshua, Joshua, that leads the people into the promised land. So true. Which is, I mean, this whole picture of yeah. the, Moses representing the law, uh-huh. right? And there's this new covenant right. that this old thing can't, can't enter this new and it's this this concept of the kingdom that's why i use that word reality is i think jesus is trying to tell them it's like hey there's this whole reality mm-hmm. it's more real than the, the story you you are stuck in right. and that was part of the problem is that they were they had this they had decided what the story was mm-hmm. and they were so stuck on it that when jesus comes revealing the true story like they don't see it they don't they actually and they end up killing him right right because they're so threatened by a story that's actually more real than the story they're telling one of the parts of your book that i was reading that i really liked the way that you you did it i think was the second chapter where it talks about how two thousand years ago there was a man that was you know he was a jew and he did this incredible thing and he walked on water um, and he it transformed his life and he started living in, in the, this reality that, you know, flipped on his head as, as we've been discussing, uh, and the powers that be didn't like that. And so they crucified him. And who is this man that we're talking about? Yeah, it's Peter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's Peter. Peter, Peter is, uh, he's all of us. Right. That's really what I've, I've learned to see. And he kind of, in the story, you know, Peter's the one who says what everybody's thinking, but doesn't have the guts to say it. And yeah. he kind of, he's off the cuff and he's like all emotion first before he's logical and, and, uh, kind of represents how we, we can act a lot, a lot of ways. And I say that like, this is, this is Simon before he's Peter, right? Mm-hmm. The guy I'm describing. Yeah. And there's a, this story of him walking on water. Like, first of all, you know, they, they see Jesus out there. They think it's a ghost. So they believed in ghosts. Mm-hmm. There's something to think about, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a ghost. They're certain it's a ghost, right? Well, and he's like, "Let's ask Saul if he believes in ghosts, <laughs> right?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so he he he's like, "Well, if it's you, tell me to come out there." I don't know who in their right mind would ever like that would be their response. Mm-hmm. Like if it's if it's you, tell me to come walk out in the water too, right? But thank God he said it. Like that's that's because mm-hmm. the story. You know, he walks out there, and I, I use this this way of putting it in the book where it's like. Peter forgets who he is for a minute and he walks. Mm-hmm. He remembers who he is and starts to sink. And somehow Jesus is trying to tell him he's had it backwards mm-hmm. all along. Yeah. That you're able to do this because I'm doing it. I'm able to do this because man is supposed to do this. Right. Like an expression of this. Yeah. Right. 
And there's so much, again, with the names. Again with the names, right? Peter. Peter. Simon, Rock. Yeah. Totally. You know, Adam from the dirt, you know, Peter, Rock. I mean, and then so I'm going to build my church on this. <laughs> well, and, the, and, and this know? is at school. Um, there's a story in, and I, I tell this story in the book too, but when he's sitting around, you know, after the walking on the water and the multiplying of the bread and all these things mm-hmm. that they've seen, they've even partnered with Jesus in healing and all this sort of stuff. They're sitting around and Jesus looks around. And he's like, who do men say that I, the son of man am? Mm-hmm. And they're like, some say Jeremiah, John the Baptist, a pr- you're a great prophet, mm-hmm. teacher, all this stuff. And he's like, who okay, you say I am, you say I am. And Peter is the one who, right. Right. And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Mm-hmm. And so something really fascinating happens is that Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Mm-hmm. And I say to you that you are Peter. So it's like Jesus asked two questions to the disciples. One's about who he is as son of man. The other one is answered as you're the son of God. Mm-hmm. So there's like this dichotomy of two identities. You're known as a son of man, but your true identity is son of God. Right. So he tells Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. It's like who you are as a son of man, mm-hmm. how you're known. And, and again, with the names, Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Jonah was a prophet who ran from his calling. Does that not perfectly describe Peter? Yeah. Right? And he's telling him, it's like, Simon Bar-Jonah, you're actually Peter, a son of, a son of God. Like yeah. Christ in Simon is Peter. Right. Right? So he's like, you're Peter. And he, he says, uh, upon this rock, I'm going to move my church. Now, he's not telling Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, although he does. Mm-hmm. What he's actually saying is the rock is the revelation of sonship, mm-hmm. right? Upon this rock, that if everybody would realize they're actually children of God, sons and daughters of God, that's what I'm going to build my church on, the revelation of who you really are. And if you'll live out of this identity, right. and he tells them, if you'll live out of this identity, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. which that to me blows me away. He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now we're not talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Peter, who's going to be given keys to the kingdom of heaven. Right. Right. Again, this is a spiritual realm that a man that's not Jesus is being given authority. Keys are for opening doors, right? right. Doors are for separating two spaces. You know, it's like he's telling Peter, like, if you'll be Peter, the son of God that you really are, then heaven and earth will be joined together in your life like it should for every human anyway. Mm-hmm. And the reason this is going to happen is, is you're going to understand this revelation of sonship, that Christ, like Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. And glory is really just a word for the fullest manifestation of who we were always meant to be, our glory. Right. Right. So the hope, I love this picture I told in the book, but it's a picture of like a, a seed, right? A seed is like the hope of the full-grown thing. Like mm-hmm. a seed, an apple seed, the hope of an apple seed is actually apples, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to do something with this seed. It has to be planted in the right soil and grown. And, there, and Jesus tells even the parable of the, the seed is the word of God. Like mm-hmm. it produces, it, comes, it becomes something. And so it's like Christ as a seed in all of us produces sonship. It, Christ in Simon produces Peter, right? Mm-hmm. It produces the glory of what the seed represents. So that's the, you know, we, we can get lost in that Americanized version of the gospel. Right. We need to say this prayer and accept Jesus into mm-hmm. our heart. Now we're on this side and we join some club and we get to go to heaven someday. I think what Jesus, the real picture there is like, 
hey, this thing, this Christ can, can be planted in you. And if you will let it be planted in you and become good soil, if you'll become good soil, this thing in its fullness will produce the you that is a son, right? It will produce the you you always meant to be. Mm-hmm. And that is Christ in you. That is this mixture of Christ and you produces the you that you've always meant to be, the you that God dreamed up. The genuine you. Right. And psychology is... The world flipped on its head. That's it. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I... We are running out of time. Uh, Man, I mean, we could talk about this, I think, forever. I mean, John says that at the end of his book, right? Yeah. (laughs) But... (laughs) The world, yeah. the world itself wouldn't hold the books, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm so glad that we had you on the show today, and I hope this whets people's appetite. And I hope it really, you know, I hope if you've listened all, thus far, uh, you're able to reflect upon what it is that we're talking about, and, and I think the importance of this book, and sort of, we, you, we're fighting that American religiosity uh, how, you know, we know the story. Oh, you know, we, the most common time for people to go to church is on Christmas and Easter, yeah. you know, and, you know, Easter's coming up, but I want, I want us to think about this in a different light. You know, I want us to consider the story and I want us to consider the true elements out of it. And, you know, that's what Jesus came to do. He came, like, he came to change the world. And mm-hmm. flip the world on on it like flip the world like it was a money changer table, you know. That's good, yeah. Uh, and you know, it, I feel like if we're just getting complacent and we're we're not operating in that uh, in, in Christ in us, you know, we're not doing Christianity right, uh, in my opinion. But yeah, yeah. I think our hope has just been misplaced. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that. The world's getting worse and worse and worse, and it and it needs to, so that if it gets bad enough, Jesus will finally come back. And right, but it's not getting worse. It was exactly where we were when we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? It's actually, believe it or not, the world's actually gotten a lot better. But yeah. we're told a lot of times what to pay attention to, what to focus mm-hmm. on, how things are getting worse and worse and worse. Right. And it's part of that part of that religious spirit, the spirit of the age, that mm-hmm. thing that wants to. I mean the because of what Jesus done, there's like this inevitability to the word, right? The word is a seed. Like it's got potential that the potential will never go away. Right. The word of God is yes. And amen. But it's like, it never goes away. The potential for the word never goes away. But if he can delay and distract the gardeners Mm -hmm. who are supposed to be tending this thing and get them where weeds are overtaking everything, we can, it can look like, look how bad everything is getting, Mm -hmm. but we have to remember who we are. Like man was a gardener from the beginning Mm -hmm. and Jesus is a gardener. Mm-hmm. He's tending some garden, this new creation, right? And we have a, a role to play in it, a very, the role to play. You know, we're human stewards of this earth and, and not just this earth, but heaven and earth, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, Brian, we are out of time, but I, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this. Uh, so where can people get this book if they want to, if they're interested in it? Yeah. Go to gravityofheaven.com mm-hmm. and you'll find a button right there. You can take it to awesome. Amazon and yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, great book. Great conversation. We'll have to have you on the show again, Brian. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thanks, Scott. It's been an honor to be here, man. So we want to wish you a happy Easter and your family and everything like that. And all of you out there as well, happy Easter. Thanks for tuning in for Impolite Company. We'd like to thank the Dockline Studios once again for uh, sponsoring our show and um, all 
providing the great crew and professional equipment and everything like that that makes this show possible. But most of all, we want to thank you, the viewer, for watching the show because that's why we do it. We want to reach you and, and give you these wonderful topics and conversations uh, like we've had today with Brian. So tune in again next week for another episode of Impolite Company. And we hope that you have a wonderful and happy Easter. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Impolite Company, presented by The Doc Line. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate our podcast and leave a five-star review for us.